mercy to us who are so undeserved of it. And tonight I want to speak about that, about a, an absolutely wonderful, beautiful picture of God's, uh, what he's done, his reconciliation, and a beautiful picture of it is the Good Shepherd. And I'd like us to turn to Luke 15. You're all too polite. There's an in inward groan. We're going to go to the prodigal son again. <laughs> Who's probably should who, I should probably ask who hasn't heard a sermon on the prodigal son? I thought so. Well, you may not realise it, but the prodigal son's not the only part of Luke 15. Who knows that? Some of you. If I can find it, I should have, hopefully it's in my Bible. See, the prodigal son, he starts at verse 11, so there's a, 10 other verses preceding the prodigal son. And I'm a believer that Luke 15 is like, it's like one play with three scenes or three acts. And you have to have the three together. But I guess like a trilogy, you know, I think it's Star Wars, which was probably more than a trilogy. It was about a trilogy or something. You know, it started at the end and then went back to the, the middle, then went a little bit further, then went back even further. I got lost with Star Wars. So you can sort of have a section and watch that and sort of, yeah, that's, that's good. Pastor, James's phone's ringing. Is that a reminder that I'm preaching and you're going to take notes? Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's all right. Apology accepted. <laughs> I leave mine in my office, so it can't do that. Yeah. Nobody ever rings me anyway, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that now. I'm going to get phone calls all week, aren't I? No, it's okay. It doesn't upset me. My phone is for me to ring you, not you to ring me, okay? <laughs> Now I was going somewhere with that before we got rudely interrupted. I've, I've accepted your apology so I can't bring it up again, can I? We, um, yeah, the three-part play trilogies and things. But if you've got a trilogy, it is so much better to start at the first one, go to the second, then the third. And that's what I want to do tonight with... Uh, in this message, we say scene one, we have a lost sheep. Scene two, we have a lost coin. And in scene three, we have two lost sons. So we need a bit of background to our play. And it goes all the way back to Psalm 23. As I said, my title is The Good Shepherd. Who hasn't heard Psalm 23? Okie doke. I'll read it anyway. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. What a great psalm. It's sort of one of the... Everybody knows Psalm 23, don't they? Even those who've never heard of God know Psalm 23. So we see here a good shepherd. God is pictured, the picture of God is being a good shepherd. He restores his, the, the, his sheep, he comforts them. Uh, the lost, he, he's, uh, he's their strength, he's with them and he, and he celebrates with them. He's a great host. It sort of encompasses every part of God, this, this shepherd, this image of a good shepherd. And this is followed on through uh, after Psalm 23 is written in Israel's history. We have different prophets come along. A number of them picked up on this shepherd thing as they were speaking to the, the leaders of the Israelites, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Zechariah. They used a kind of bad shepherd, good shepherd thing to illustrate illustrations to speak to God's people. So basically they were saying to the leaders, you're bad shepherds. You've lost your sheep. You're not looking after your sheep. And we've heard, you know, if you're going to do a job properly, do it yourself. So then the prophet goes, God is going to come and find your sheep, look after your sheep, bring them back home and take care of them. You're no good. You've done it. You've blown it. You're bad shepherds and you're not doing anything about it. So, who is Jesus speaking to when he begins this three-act play? Scene one. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, near to, him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying... This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying. And the Pharisees thought they were pretty good because they followed all the laws, or they said they followed all the laws. There's 613 of them. I don't quite know how they did that, but they thought they did. They had a pretty good opinion of themselves. They were ritually clean. They couldn't touch unclean people like tax collectors and, and sinners. They would not eat with a sin, in a sinner or what they would class a sinner or a tax collector because they would become unclean and that would be no good for them. And so they would... They, so when Jesus comes along, and it's interesting there, it says all the tax collectors, I'm not sure where Jesus was, whether he was in a big city or a small town, but all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him and he was eating with them. And he supposedly, he's been called a rabbi. A rabbi wouldn't do that. It would make him unclean. But Jesus is there in amongst them, having a great time with the Pharisees standing in the background. And the thing is that the Pharisees would know the Old Testament prophets. If you're like me, if you want to find something out in the Bible, you Google and up it comes. Now that, I'll tell you what, Google, I reckon, takes about 10 hours off a of sermon preparation. <laughs> You've just got to have a vague thought and it comes up with all the stuff you need. See, it can be used for good, the internet. But unlike me, those Pharisees, those scribes, those leaders, they had it all up here. 
They knew when Jesus started these stories that he was saying, you're a bunch of bad shepherds and you're not looking after your sheep. That would have got them offside because they knew. See, I read that and I don't know that until I've read a book about it and I found out from a guy who's very, I'll talk about him in a minute, who's very learned and he enriches our scriptures. To me, he just starts, oh, well, here's, a, here's a parable and he rattles it off. But he's sort of going, oof, because they'd be sitting there going, he's applying what Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Zechariah applied to the leaders back in long ago, to us who were the elite. So we'll see how we go. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. The sheep was lost. There's an implication here to start with of a bad shepherd. He's lost his sheep. That's not a good thing for a shepherd. He loses his livelihood for one. And he's sort of aiming this at the Pharisees, as I've said, that you've lost your sheep. But the good shepherd searches for diligently for his sheep until he finds his sheep, he restores his sheep, he brings the sheep home on his shoulders and there's celebration of the lost being found. I've become a fan of a guy, I guess you'd call him a theologian, called Kenneth Bailey. I've just read before church that he died two years ago and I read all of his life and I haven't got time to read it all to you now except to say he's an exceptional Bible scholar. And uh, he was born to Presbyterian missionaries in Egypt. Uh, he grew up in the Middle East. He uh, studied in the Middle East. He taught in the Middle East. He's, uh, I would call him an expert in, um, for an American. He's an expert in... Uh, Middle Eastern culture and the customs of the Middle East. He studied the original Aramaic writings of the Bible and all these, all this. Sort. So he, he, he sort of, he's pretty knowledgeable and he writes a book that a person like me can read and learn from. He's not one of those theologians where you read their books and you get to the second page and go, huh? <laughs> Very good. And he brings out so much stuff. He just enriches the scripture so beautifully. So in a couple of uh, classes that he had, he was in Lebanon during the, uh, the Lebanon, what do you call it, the war, the civil war. He was teaching in a, in a college there and I think it was at least two men that, apart, one of, that were his students had been shepherds. And this is, you know, last, sounds funny, doesn't it, last century, <laughs> which wasn't that long ago. Might have been back in the 60s or 70s or something of last century but modern times to some of us. Um, and they, their job was no different to when Jesus was walking around Bethlehem and Jerusalem. They did the same thing. They did it all the same. And uh, he was, so one of them was explaining to him that 
when you lose a sheep, you know, you've got to go and search for it. And what the sheep does, when it realises it's lost, it just gets petrified. It's terrified and it, it just it can't walk. It just flops on its, where it is and begins to bleat. And so it just keeps bleating until it hears the shepherd's voice. And even when it hears the shepherd's voice, now there's a little side thing to that. You want a little side bit? We've got time? Yeah, we've got plenty of time for a side bit. He was also telling, us a, uh, telling in his book of another shepherd who there was a group of them that the authorities for some reason took their sheep. And I can't remember why. You'll have to read the book. And so there was, say, a hundred sheep or so, five shepherds or something like that. And so whatever reason, they said, okay, it's okay, you can have your sheep back. So I don't know about you, but all sheep seem to look alike. So there's no markings or anything, so how do we tell whose is whose? Well, like it says in the Bible, quite easy. One shepherd just walks into the middle of the, middle of the sheep and he has maybe a special whistle or his voice and he starts to walk out and he walks away and 30 sheep follow him. Another shepherd walks in, he has a specific sound or tone of his voice or a whistle again or something. He walks over there, he lives over here, 25 sheep follow him. Isn't that amazing? When you look at the way we treat sheep in Australia, you know, you send dogs after them, but I think there's somewhere in the Bible about the sheep will know their master's voice or the shepherd's voice. And this is from a person who's done it, you know, less than 100 years ago. It still happens. That was a good thing to share. Now, where was I? So anyway, so the, so the sheep, so the shepherd goes out looking for the lost sheep and he, he uses his, you know, whistle or his voice or whatever it is he uses and then the sheep hears the, hears the shepherd's voice and then probably bleats a bit louder and, and so the shepherd can follow the bleating until he gets to it. Sounds a bit like church, doesn't it, really? Anyway... <laughs> No, not really. You're not, not, not the group here, that those ones that come in the morning. They're the ones that you... Yeah. No. <laughs> um, official joke, please, everybody. That was a joke. Joke, please. Don't take it serious. Don't take me seriously at all. You'll get in all sorts of bother. But the sheep is so distraught it can't walk. Who's seen the picture of the... You know, there's hundreds of them. The Jesus, the shepherd with the sheep. I had one to have up there, but I forgot to tell EJ about it, so it's not up there. And so the shepherd carries it home, comforts it, restores it. That beautiful picture of God through Jesus restoring the lost. Psalm 23. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A shepherd doesn't have anything except his sheep. They're not rich. They don't have Rolls Royces and mansions. And whether they are um, you know, a, a worker or they actually own their sheep, that's all they have. And so it wouldn't take long to get a bad reputation. So I would imagine if you get a bad reputation, people aren't going to let you look after their sheep. So they can't afford to have a bad reputation. God can't afford a bad reputation. He looks after his sheep. That... that Finding the sheep and bringing it home is a great picture of God's salvation where he does everything. All we do is bleat. 
<laughs> as in we respond to his call, to the shepherd's call. Yeah. The scene two, we jump to scene two. In this one we have an implication that there's a bad housekeeper. The housekeeper has some coins. Pharisees were pointing the finger. Oh, sorry, Kerry, I'm over that way further. That's not wasn't you. There's a coin is lost. The good housekeeper searches diligently in the house looking for this coin. Finds the coin, grabs the neighbourhood to celebrate that the coin has been found. I was reading the other day that the original language for this part of Luke 15 is written in the female form or the female tense. I don't know much about it, but I love hearing about it and I always don't sort of get it. You know, there's, there's tenses and there's verbs and adjectives and pronouns and all that stuff. I love listening to people talk. You won't get me talking too much about that because I've got no idea what it is. But it's written in a female form, which is different to the one before the shepherd and the, and the prodigal son. I think... Uh, I think the French have female, or some languages have female and male, so depending where you put a word, whether it's before a pronoun or before the, or it'll change it from being a male to a female, the, um, in, um, something or other, what do you call it, um, meaning to the word type of thing. So I'm guessing what this is what it is. It's been written in a female tense. So there would have been women sitting at this party that Jesus was having. So it would have been directed at them for them to listen to and be encouraged. Probably much to the disgust of the Pharisees and the scribes that were there. Verse 9 says, And when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbours together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which was lost. The writer of this article says, It wouldn't have been all the, the blokes of the village and the women. It would have just been the women because it's in a female form. So it would have been like Coffee Connect or probably more like coffee and dessert at Marianne's place because it wouldn't have had coffee club back then, I guess. So it was very much a female thing. So that is the astounding thing about this little bit of scripture. It's a woman, for one. Now, today we go, yeah, so what's so great about that? Well, Jesus is saying here, as he is in all three scenes of this play, is the shepherd, the woman and the father are all pictures of God through Jesus searching for the lost sheep, finding and restoring them and celebrating the lost has been found. So Jesus is using a female, a woman, as that illustration. Again, I say, today we go, yes, so. In the day, back then, the best that a woman could do was be married, have children, and look after the children and the husband. That's if she has a good life. And here's Jesus saying, this is a picture of the Father through me. 
seeking the lost. Now I know there's lots of accounts of women in the Bible, isn't there? Doing things for God, amazing things, small things, big things. Rahab at Jericho, Esther before the king, I talked about her, but I mean all she did was win a beauty contest, so I guess it was for God. Deborah did something. What did Deborah do? I, couldn't, I didn't have time. What did she do? She's a judge. She, won the, she was too, yeah. Um, Ruth was part of Jesus' family tree, and what a family tree that was. I think he had three women in that, and one of them wasn't even a Jew. My goodness. Mary anointed Jesus' feet. Dorcas was a wonderful lady, faith, uh, good faithful lady, did good things for people. But these are all factual accounts. These are written accounts of what women have done. But I'm not aware of one other. Maybe there is. You might be able to enlighten me. There's not one where being a woman is being a picture of God, as Jesus is saying right here. Jesus was the greatest advocate for women at any time in history up until today. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. There we go. Started right at the beginning. See, we've got to understand that God, much as we, we speak, I guess, male forms to God, but God is a spirit. I'm not about to start calling God mum just so you're aware, okay? Because if it's good enough for Jesus to call his father, father, I'm not going to change that. But there's male and female attributes in his nature. So that's what it's getting at. In uh, Luke 13, 34, Jesus says, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not willing that's a very feminine style of talking. Not too many blokes sort of gather the chicks under the wing. It's more of a mummy type, you know, motherly type thing, isn't it? Isaiah 66, 13 says, And as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. As a mother's comfort. It's different to a mad, you know, a dad's comfort. Is, hey, you know, like I did before church, just... Chuck my grandson on the floor, yeah. That's all good. That was comforting my grandson. <laughs> or a bad thing, whatever. So on Friday afternoon at Men's Coffee Club, men, that's four o'clock at uh, Macca's Kirkwood. If you like to come and have a coffee with us, we talk nonsense and have a good time. But we actually, sometimes we don't always talk nonsense. And we somehow got on to talking about that book and the movie of The Shack. And um, the shack, I think um, God is portrayed as a, a, a Negro-American lady, you know, the lovely mummy, you know, the big lady that gives you nice hugs and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we got on a discussion about that, and I, before all the theologians get upset, I did find a, what do you call it, a, a YouTube thing of an interview with the guy who wrote it because he was being accused of being a, you know, uh, what are the people that they, they burn you at the stake when you're a heretic? Because it was, you know, and, and he said, it's not theology. It's a picture like here. He was just using pictures 
to show the wonderful love of God to this man who'd had a tragedy and his different walk this, and the different angles that God could come in at the right time and be a mother at one time and a whatever, I can't remember the movie or the book, I didn't read the book. And, um, and there was, so there was a bit of a discussion about, you know, whether that was, that's right or whatever. And one of the guys said, you know, in my walk with God, at times I wanted a mum. And at other times I've needed a dad or I've needed you know, other attributes of God and, and God just has this way of coming in with the right attribute when I need it. And I think that's what Jesus is on about here. That God will meet us where and how he wants to to restore and take care of his lost sheep. Okay. Like all good plays, scene one and two have set us up for the finale. Scene three, the climax. We're on to the prodigal son at last. So we all know the prodigal son story, don't we? Anyone not know the prodigal son story? No, good. Well, we know the basics. The uh, son decides he wants, to, he wants his inheritance. He embarrasses his fa family and everything. He takes off. He wastes it all. He comes back. Dad runs out, gives him a big hug and says, no, no, you're good. You're my son. Wonderful, wonderful. And then the, the other son who's been a good boy all his life is standing out and hearing all this party going and he comes, what's going on? Oh, your, your brother's back. He, what? He's back and they're going to have a party. For, oh, I've been here all my life and I've never had a party. He's probably exaggerating and lying, but anyway. And uh, so that's, that's the background of prodigal son so how does scene one and scene two set us up for scene three the sheep is lost in a wilderness away from the flock the coin is lost in the house the youngest son is in the wilderness of pride and greed and arrogance he's embarrassed his father his family his village and his heritage he's burned all the bridges the oldest son has been in his father's house the whole time, yet he is just as lost as his young brother. Maybe worse, he, like the Pharisees and scribes, was too proud to acknowledge he was even lost. It's interesting that he goes on about the young son and wasting his money and stuff. And in verse 12, the young man comes to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, the father, divided to them his livelihood. So the older son got what was coming to him as much as what the, the younger one would have got less because the older one got more than the... So here he is. So, so my, uh, my theologian that I like, Kenneth Bailey, writes the following. Together these two stories represent two types of lostness. This careful distinction is unique to this pair of parables and it prepares the listener or the reader for the parable of the prodigal son where two sons are lost. One is in the far country and the other is lost in the house. This means that you can be lost in the vastness of, a di of the dias diaspora. That was when uh, God sent all the Israelites out through all the different nations and sent them all over the world and then he gathers them all back. He's done that a few times in the Old Testament. 
At the same time, you can sit in the shadow of the temple studying the Torah and yet be lost from the heart of God. To translate that, sitting in the shadow of the temple is sitting in church, studying the Bible, and yet still be lost from the heart of God. How sad to be lost in the house. That's the illustration of the woman with the coin. We're in the house, the body of Christ. Let's not be lost like the son, the older son in the, in the prodigal son story. But how could we be lost in the house? Well, we can have things like pride that, you know, we're better than them. That's what the Pharisees were doing. We're better than the lost. And then uh, I, I, I grew up in the Presbyterian church, got saved and went to a uniting church and then come into Pentecostal a couple of years after that. And I get annoyed when I see the pride of Pentecostal people thinking they're better than the others. You don't want to be lost in the house of God. That brings in arrogance. And we're better than them. You know the funny... Who, ever, I remember Shane Willard saying that, that, that scripture about where um, the, the, Jesus says, you know, get away from me. He said, oh, hang on. We did all this stuff for you. We prophesied, we spoke in tongues and we cast out demons and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you didn't do this. And he said, he is a Pentecostal. And he said, isn't it funny? That's all the Pentecostal stuff. <coughs> I just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> Not even in my notes. That's interesting, isn't it? It's more about our heart. Now, envy. You know, I've, I've been in the church 10 years and this bloke over here in the black shirt, he's only been in the church, he's been saved two years and he's already playing drums. Yeah, well, maybe he's got a good heart and maybe he's served and maybe he's, you know, we've seen that. But envy, it'll kill, kill you. That's where you get lost in the body, yeah. lost in the house. Unforgiveness in the house shouldn't be in the house it's scriptures I mean my, my theology the older I get the, the, the smaller it gets God loves me I've got to love God and I've got to love everybody else scripture says that be tender hearted loving one another and forgiving others as God has forgiven you and yet I see it in the house of God Hearing people saying, oh, you've got to forgive them. That's the key to, key to Christianity. That's the bottom line of Christianity. So let's not be lost in the house. Can I have the music team come up, please? God, the good shepherd, is looking 
for his sheep, whether they be the lost that are out in the wilderness or whether the ones that are in the house. Is there condemnation? No. God just wants restoration. Sandy spoke on reconciliation. God wants to just restore his people to himself, that he can love them, he can encourage them. We can, have a, we can pig out with him. He wants us to have a feast, not just a you know, salad with a bit of carrot stick. We can have pies and sausage rolls and not worry about putting on weight. God wants to rejoice with us that we're found in him. I'm sure we all know the story of Peter. You know, if, if anyone really made a blotch of things in the Bible, it was Peter. I'll be with you all the way. I'm not going to leave you. Those others will, but I won't. I'll be there. They'll all run away, but I won't be there. Peter, by morning, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, get out of it. I would never do that. I'm, I'm, what did he do? When the rooster crowed in the morning, he denied him three times. What a horrible thing. How devastated would you feel? You know, you've been with this guy for three years. He's looked after you. He's taught you. He's given his life to you. And you've mouthed off about being going to be the one to look after him. And there you are. You've just, and he's up on a cross dying. He's dead. And you didn't do nothing. You didn't help him at all in any way. How crushed would you be? And yet the good shepherd caught up with him on a beach one day. They were having a men's breakfast. And he took him aside. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. I love you. Good. I think he said feed my sheep or something, doesn't he there? Good. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Did he still feed his sheep? Lambs or something? He goes, lambs feed. I should have looked it up. I should have Googled it. I would have known what I was talking about. Then he's asking me, oh, come on, Jesus. I love you. What are you asking me on this good? Good man, follow me. Just follow me, Peter. He restored him. He had a meal with him. You might not know, but in Middle Eastern customs, of some limited knowledge I have, having a meal with someone means so much. It does away with all the things before, if there's been bad things. Having a meal together meant so much in that, in that uh, Middle Eastern culture. You just do away with everything. That's what Jesus wants with us. He wants to find us for his name's sake, that his name will be glorified. Will you stand with me this evening? I hope you got a better picture tonight of the prodigal son. My attempt was to enrich that Luke 15, so we get a better understanding of 
the good shepherd, the illustration of God being such a wonderful shepherd and his wonderful mercy and grace towards each and every one of us. If you want to learn more, Kenneth Bailey, write it down, young people. He's far more better than listening to an upstart on Facebook wanting to big note himself. He doesn't know anything. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful pictures you have. We thank you, Lord, for this Luke 15 and uh, I guess that the passages back in Psalm and the prophets and that that, that um, set, it, set it up and that we can get a greater understanding of what Jesus is really doing in these Psalms and in this uh, scripture, Luke 15, Lord God. But above all, we do thank you that you are the good shepherd and that through your son Jesus you came to seek and save the lost. Father, tonight as I look around, I, I see, I think most of us have a relationship with you. So, Lord, I just pray that you would, as James spoke this morning about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that even tonight or during this week, that through that Holy Spirit, you would convict us that may be lost or slightly lost in the house, that we would know your restoration. We would know your grace and mercy. That like the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost sons, we would be found and there would be great celebration. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, team. Can stand against us. Your 